Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Some schools in New Mexico are working on what they say is a proactive program to reduce expulsions, especially for Native students. The state is facilitating a test of restorative methods used in other institutions to try and build bonds among students while also holding them accountable for their actions. The program is showing some promise at a school with a mostly Native student body, but it also has its critics. We'll hear both sides of the issue right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Jill Freitas from KMBA in Anchorage, Alaska, filling in for Antonia Gonzalez. Members of the Native American Journalists Association voted last week to change the organization's name to the Indigenous Journalists Association. The name change received more than 60% of votes. Members had various opinions on whether or not to change the name. Longtime member Roy Dick from Yakima Nation in Washington was against the name change. They're trying to make it international and we're used to what we work for. Like myself, I'm a radio man, and you know everybody turns the radio on to hear what I have to say, and I tell them I'm part of Naja. And they ask me, what's Naja? And that's Native American journalist, and that includes radio, TV, and print. And to me, that, that, that identifies us as a, gr- a special group of people. Other members, like first-year member Darla Panes, an intern with Eagle Feather News outside of Saskatchewan, voted to change the name. Uh, it included more um, Indigenous people from, because there's Indigenous people from Canada, the U.S., you know, across the ocean. So I thought it made it seem more inclusive for other Indigenous people. That's why I voted to change the name not to step on anyone's heels <laughs> or toes. The vote took place as members from the U.S. and Canada were celebrating 40 years of the organization in Winnipeg last week. The University of Oregon and the Coquel Indian Tribe are partnering up on research to reduce carbon emissions. KLCC's Brian Bull reports. The UO has a five-year, $3 million grant to study ways to cut climate-changing carbon. It'll incorporate environmental findings, artificial intelligence, and indigenous knowledge to help address challenges to the environment. Jason Yonkers, chief of the Colquill Tribe, as well as UO assistant vice president and an advisor on government-to-government relations for the administration. He says it's important for traditional ecological knowledge to be included. Our whole world is warming up. That's affecting the water. It's affecting our salmon. It's affecting everything. And what can a small little tribe from the southern Oregon coast do to help be an example for other people? The National Science Foundation-funded study aims to involve more indigenous perspectives and offer a range of carbon-cutting actions that communities can choose to carry out. For National Native News, I'm Brian Bull. Advocates urged President Biden to rapidly phase out fossil fuels and stop endorsing false climate solutions like hydrogen and carbon capture and sequestration during a recent visit to New Mexico. Members of the New Mexico No False Solutions Coalition unfurled banners that said, quote, keep it in the ground and invest in renewables on I-25 southbound en route to the president's stop in Belen, New Mexico. Under President Biden, the Department of Energy is promoting hydrogen across the country. New Mexico, along with other states, is seeking federal funding to build out large-scale hydrogen projects. In June, NMNFS sent a letter to the Department of Energy urging it to reject New Mexico's application for federal hydrogen funding, highlighting climate, environmental justice, health, and safety concerns. 
NMNFS member Sofia Martinez warned that a hydrogen economy will lock in dirty fossil fuels in the state in a time when New Mexico needs to rapidly transition away from oil and gas and said, quote, first it was nuclear and now hydrogen is coming into New Mexico. We are tired of being the testing grounds and sacrifice zones for untested sources of energy, end quote. According to the group, climate fuel disasters have had massive human and financial costs. The group says last year alone, communities in the U.S. experienced 18 separate weather and climate disasters, causing almost $170 billion in damages and almost 500 direct or indirect fatalities. About 95% of hydrogen is produced using fossil fuels. I'm Jill Freitas. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. Support by Vision Maker Media, envisioning a world changed and healed by understanding Native stories and the public conversations they generate. 45 plus years of Native stories and Indigenous knowledge through film and media can be found at visionmakermedia.org. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. A pilot program in New Mexico centers on restorative methods as an alternative to more severe discipline. It focuses on conflict resolution, mediation, and talking circles as opposed to more punitive measures like suspension and expulsion. Its proponents say it's more than just talking through problems. It aims to also hold students accountable for bad behavior. One predominantly Native school in the state says it's seeing promising results. It's seen as one alternative in a state with disproportionately high expulsion rates for Native students, an issue that was documented earlier in a report by the news organization New Mexico In-Depth. Today we'll talk with school administrators and proponents. We also want to hear from you. Does your child's school take a different approach to discipline? What culturally specific ways would be helpful in schools? Join this conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Let's meet our guests. Speaking with us in Shiprock, New Mexico is Dr. Pandora Mike. She is the principal at Sabatai Middle School in Shiprock and a 2023 New Mexico National Distinguished Principal of the Year. She is Dene. Pandora, congratulations on your award and please feel free to further introduce yourself. Yeah, um, she Pandora Mike Yanishia Nakai Dene Nishne Hawan Slana Bashish Team Twitch Eatni Dashichi Trachnisakni Eightashanella and that's who I am as a mother, as a grandmother, and as a woman leader. Thank you. Yate Pandora. Also joining us from Shiprock is Danielle Yazi. She is the assistant principal at Sabatai Middle School and she is Dene also. Danelle, thank you for joining us, and I invite you to further introduce yourself as well. 
Uh, hello, my name is Danelle Yazi. Uh, my clans are and I reside here in Shiprock. Yate to you as well, Danelle. In Albuquerque, New Mexico, we have Bryant Furlow on the line. He is a New Mexico in-depth reporter and a member of ProPublica's local reporting network. Bryant, welcome back to NAC. Thank you for having me. And speaking with us in Santa Fe, New Mexico, is Emma Green. She is the New Mexico Prevention, Response, and Resiliency Program Coordinator at the New Mexico Public Education Department. Emma, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Let's go ahead and start this conversation now. Pandora, please begin by describing for our listeners how restorative practices are used there at Sabatai Middle School. Absolutely. Thank you for this opportunity um, to share what we are doing here at our school. So one of the things that we wanted to do was to really emphasize that building positive relationships with one another is, um, you know, a foundation that can um, lead to more um, learning opportunities that would benefit students and strong, you know, social skills for lifelong learning. So we um, are really at the beginning stages of this. And um, right now we have um, implemented um, social contracts in all of our classrooms. So teachers are currently working on that last week and this week with students to establish norms of practice um, in the classrooms, and we use these social contracts to, um, you know, remind ourselves of, you know, engagement in a positive way, providing a sense of belonging, um, inclusiveness, um, building and valuing, you know, diversity, understanding one another better, and you know, just really supporting one another. Um, and we also have implemented um, what we call talking circles. Um, some people call it connection circles, but it's an opportunity for students to find commonalities among one another on a specific topic. Um, it might be a problem-solving topic, it might be a conflict resolution topic, or it might be a get-to-know-you topic. Um, another another um, strategy that we're practicing right now is just basic greeting every child when they come into the classroom. Um, we also like to work on affirmations with our students, you know, and, and so I remind the teachers, you know, when students leave the classroom, say something that will resonate with them throughout the day um, that, you know, you know, it, it's not only um, that they're hearing it, but it makes them feel like they want to come back. And, you know, again, it's, you know, the foundation of our practice here is to create a sense of belonging for our boys and girls. It's about teaching um, self-regulation. It's about, um, you know, providing everybody an opportunity to 
practice responsibility, respect. And if I get into a conflict with somebody, I'm going to repair it. I'm going to restore it. You know, because in the in the Dene way, you know, we want hajan, which is a balance, which is our goal is to work towards peace. Mm. This all sounds so promising, Pandora. Can you tell us more, what is the situation there at the school that you're hoping to address by these restorative practices? Well, um, just like every other school around the world, you know, after the pandemic, um, uh, we, we noticed a lot of students that um, came back to school with a lot of bad behaviors, um, a lot of bad practices, meaning that, you know, there's just, um, bad habits ongoing and so we needed to refocus their attention retrain them how to be um, students in a school how to practice in a good way um, how to get along how how what strategies what skills to teach our mm-hmm. our students you know for lifelong learning um, there were a lot of students that um, are coming with influences from home, whether it's a dysfunction that may be in their lives that we don't control. As they come into the school, we see um, the symptoms. We see the, you know, and then of course it becomes a condition. So we wanted to create change. We, you know, we don't want students um, missing school, um, you know, for, you know, as a consequence, in other words, you know, for a disciplinary action. We need to, we we saw the need to create an intervention, um, and it it came from, well, let's talk about this. Sit down and let's talk about this. When you create a safe space in that way with students, doors open, they share things that, you know, aren't shared in the heat of the moment when they did um, the, the negative activity or the action. Okay. So, Pandora, yeah. I'm sorry, could you give us an example? Because I'm, I'm thinking of a scenario maybe of, of a student who acts up in a classroom, or maybe there's some sort of an altercation in a hallway mm-hmm. in between periods. How do you actually apply these practices in a real life situation like that at the school? So what so what we do is if, if a student acts out, say they, you know, um, something happened in the classroom and they're sent to the office. Usually Miss Yazzie, you know, has a conversation with them and she she has a you know, a set of questions she takes them through to get to the heart of why they did what they did and helps them to resolve it in that way. Sometimes it might mean working it out with the teacher. Sometimes it might mean doing a conflict resolution mediation between two students. So that activity takes place to restore bridge, if you will, the relationship between um, two individuals. 
Thank you, Pandora. That's really helpful. And, and I want to bring Danelle into the conversation now. Danelle, uh, so apparently the first step is students come down perhaps and, and sit with you during a meeting. And how do you like the program so far? Are you seeing progress since it was first implemented? Um, yes, I've seen progress as far as general relationships that I build with my students. Um, my biggest thing is to make sure that a student knows that just because I'm the disciplinarian does not mean that I'm not a person to turn to for help. That is the ultimate goal is to be able to have them come to someone prior to blowing up on a teacher, prior to blowing up on another student, and to understand the emotions that they are having and to understand what to do with those emotions. Um, students come to us with high needs of social emotional support that they're going to have to build, whether they got some from home or a lot of it is coming from schools and understanding that the social emotional learning they are doing is to support the choices, the choice decision making that they're doing in their future. So our goal is to be able to help them understand the emotions they are having, what to do with those emotions, and at the end, how do we restore and repair what harm could have been done or may have been done in the classroom and to be able to come to some sort of resolution so that they know that they're able to return back to the classroom, that they know that, okay, this situation was taken care of and my classroom environment, my learning environment is a safe space and I'm returning back to it so that I can learn, so that it's not something that's hovering over me. Okay, thank you, Danielle. Restorative practices being implemented in a New Mexico school, more conversation, more guests when we return. The largest dam demolition project in U.S. history is underway along the Oregon-California border, and the area's tribes were instrumental in making it happen. A century after the drive to build dams to generate power, officials are realizing the environmental harm they cause. We'll hear more about it on the next Native America Calling. centers for Medicare and Medicaid services. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're continuing this conversation around restorative practices in New Mexico schools. Please share your thoughts. Is your student school using a restorative approach? Is it working? Let us know by calling 1-800-996-2848. Our number again, 1-800-996-2848. Give us a call. We'll put your comments on the air. Danielle Yazzie is... An administrator with the Sabatai Middle School in Shiprock, New Mexico. And Danielle, it sounds like in order for these restorative practices to work, students have to be willing to open up and talk. So my question is, what happens when a young person just doesn't want to talk? They shut down. How do you deal with that? So when a student has shut down, they've reached their ultimate 
pinnacle of um, feelings and emotions. So a lot of what I do is give them the opportunity to breathe, to take their deep breaths, to think, to break down and cry, to, to process the emotion in the way that feels suitable for them and what they've learned to develop. In the meantime, I'm sitting here quietly allowing them to move through those types of emotions through, and to let them collect themselves. And I don't intrude my way upon them. I let them move through it. So this process does take a while to understand the student, but it creates a safe space for them. And the goal is to create a safe learning environment for our students so that they're able to learn. Um, many of my students, I sit there, we sit and we talk and we understand. I ask questions. They can answer yes or no. They can shake their head yes or no. We find ways for them to communicate that is not verbal, especially if it's nonverbal. Many of our students still need to understand or learn how do, you, how do I communicate what I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. And we begin to provide them words. We give them sentence stems. These are things that I do within my office in dealing with any student that has a discipline issue where they have shut down. And this does happen for those that are, you know, habitual offenders, if you want to. And from there, we go ahead and we move through that practice. After that point, then I say, okay, what happened? Let me hear your side. And they will come in and they will tell me what their side is. Um, very rarely, once we've created a safe space, it, it, it doesn't happen very often where a student truly does refuse to speak to me. Um, those that do truly refuse, then it's okay. We need you to, we do need a parent to intervene. And at that point, that parent can come in and um, they take that home and then they'll return the next day and they'll talk with me and we can go through what we need to talk about and what occurred and how to repair that harm. How do we repair the relationship between the student and the classroom? Our focus is to get the student back into the classroom. But in order to do that, we have to overcome our social emotional needs to get them back into the classroom to feel safe enough to learn. All right. And Danelle, I'm thinking some listeners today might be tuning in and they hear terms like restorative justice and, and talking circles, and they might be inclined to think, well, well, geez, you know, maybe what are the consequences for bad behavior or are there consequences for bad behavior with these models? So can you share some examples of consequences that a restorative justice school program might administer for perhaps for, for a fight or for some kind of a conflict in a classroom? So Dr. Mike just talked about um, restorative um, conference, conferencing, restorative conflict resolution. It's not to say that there's no consequence. In my practice, um, it's different in every school building and how they choose to do it with their student body and based off of the needs of their student body. My, our school building is still um, rolling out restorative justice and restorative practices. So we didn't forego all of our consequences. So, in, so consequences are still served, but we do go back through and we talk to our students about what should have happened differently. Where, 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 at what point in time could we have had a timeout? So that we're, our goal is to prevent it from happening again. Okay. We, you know, many students don't have 
you know, we, we can't predict what a student's going to do every day, but we can help to predict what can happen from that point on. And our goal is to be more um, proactive than to be reactive. Now, I also want to share that there are some critics that, that say that, well, look, teachers really aren't equipped to do this type of, of behavioral work. They're not therapists. They don't have that type of background, uh, you know, to get students to open about these feelings and, and discuss some of these deep-rooted, perhaps, thoughts that they might have. Do you feel that that's a, a valid criticism of a restorative justice program, or are there ways to work around that for teachers and others? I in my practice, there are ways to work around it. Um, a lot of our teachers that are coming into this field are younger. You know, this is their first job that they've had. We have teachers that have been in this field for 20 years, and what they see is that the generation of students now is different than the students from three years ago, four years ago, five years ago, and that there is a higher need for social-emotional support than than many years before and that's changing our t experienced teachers to understand that okay i have to be a part of social emotional learning that this is important um there's a youtube video or a ted talk that we watch and it spoke to me it's by rita pearson and it's called every kid needs a champion and in there she speaks a lot about students feeling welcome into their classroom, that their teacher wants them to be a part of their community, that the teacher wants them to be a part of their classroom. The same thing with research done by Dr. Heather Shoten. She states that um, adult children that are in college want to feel accepted in their community, in their school community especially, and that if a student's feeling accepted, they will do better and they will do well at school academically. So. For me, I understand that you, many people feel that teachers have a lot on their plate, but how else are we going to teach our students if this is a giant barrier that we have to overcome first? And what we do is we start out the school year with it so that we build those relationships, we make those connections, and we allow our teachers to have that foundational skills with their students, and that carries out throughout the entire school year. It's the same thing that, you know, you wake up in the morning, you start off your day well, you start off great. It's going to probably stay like that a majority of the time. <laughs> but I think that's something that we have to see is that we have to build foundational pieces. Once you build capacity, you're able to teach and the student feels safe enough to learn. Thank you, Danielle. Pandora, back to you. When you, you first introduced these practices, this idea, this pilot program, to your teachers, to your faculty, what was their reaction? Were they receptive? Did they like these new approaches? Or were some of them kind of more committed to the older way, the older approaches for handling issues like this in schools? I can, I can safely say that, um, you know, that there's a lot of power in the talking circle. You know, uh, a lot of, um, you know, indigenous culture, you know, we, we talk in circles. We, we, we know, you know, um, that you can bring a topic to the table and, you know, it becomes a safe space to talk. So that same format is what we use. I mean, I've invested so much to, um, with my staff to really 
emphasize that, you know, emotional wellness is directly connected to achievement. And, you know, it, it makes sense. If you feel good, you're going to learn. If you feel good, you're going to want to learn, you know. So um, the, the more we build our knowledge capacity, um, the better off we're going to be in terms of practices. So in bringing together a staff, we um, were trained in, in um, a, a, by a, um, a practice called Capturing Kids' Hearts, which is a, um, a program that the district um, had provided to um, us last school year. And yes, there were staff who came to the circle when we first opened up. I, by the end of that talking circle, everybody had shared tears, everybody had shared laughter together, everybody had a personal story that um, was brought to that circle, and we all supported one another. That was the selling point. That is when we said, this is going to work, and we're going to move forward with, you know, using talking circles. Um, that was the stepping stone for us. And then, of course, um, just tiny bit changes. You know, I'm not asking my staff to make, you know, a whole change. It's just what's your 1% change that you can do this year? And we shared that. And everybody has shared things like, you know, I'm going to smile more. I'm going to um, give, you know, students a fist pump when they walk in the door. <laughs> I'm going to start my day with, you know, let's share some good news. You know, what did you do for the weekend? You know, things like that. Those are 1% changes that we have asked our staff to, to do. And everybody, you know, is supporting one another. Um, it's, it's, I feel very encouraged, you know, with the response uh, from my staff. We're working hard. And, and you know, the, the other, op, you know, really awesome thing that's happening is we have our district administration support. They have um, asked all secondary schools to implement restorative practices so we're, we're, you know, we can pick up the phone and I can call a colleague, you know, how does this work for you? And we, we are able to network that way. We are able to create synergy that way, you know, because we're not perfect. We're not 100% implementation. We are taking one step at a time to promote a positive climate, to create a sense of belonging and really value diversity. And, you know, I, 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 I think it's really important that, um, you know, culturally, linguistic, responsive instruction is at the forefront of all our indigenous teachings. Sure. And, you know, monitoring that, of course, is the challenge. Thank you, Pandora. Appreciate it. Uh, and Danielle, back to you. What about the students? What are they saying uh, about these new practices? Are they supportive? Do they like how ha issues are being handled now at the school? Um, I haven't had a student tell me that they don't want to talk to me. So um, I have 
most of my hardest cases, they come and they visit me every day. We do a check-in, check-out. It becomes a part of their day. And it, we're setting them out to have a great day. They're going to show their best self, and they're going to come back, and they're going to tell me, hey, I had such a great day. This is what I this is how I worked in Ms. John's classroom today. This is how I worked with Ms. Torres today. So our students are feeling more connected with who their teachers are and knowing that I feel accepted in my building. I feel accepted at school. That, that intrinsically alone is wanting to make a student come to school every day. So having that positive culture and being a part of the positive culture, it's keeping our students here. It's not allowing them to go out and to make choices that are not good for them. Danelle and Pandora, thank you both for joining us today and sharing this new program, this pilot program with regard to restorative practices there at St. Patai Middle School in Shiprock, New Mexico. I want to move on to our next guest now, Bryant Furlow. He is a reporter. And Bryant, last time you were on our show, you talked about an article you wrote that highlighted really high rates of expulsion of Native students at the Gallup-McKinley County School District, just, oh, it's about an hour and a half south of Shiprock there near the Navajo Nation. And do you see these restorative practices as being a solution to issues like expulsion and suspensions and some of these other higher forms of discipline? Thank you, Sean. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's early days, especially here in New Mexico. Uh, and like you said, I originally focused on the expulsion rates uh, of Native kids in New Mexico, which seemed to be driven by the Gallup-McKinley School District's practices. Um, for a lot of years, uh, school districts here in New Mexico and across the U.S. embraced zero-tolerance policies that had resulted in high rates of expulsions and suspensions, especially for Indigenous children and African-American and Hispanic kids. And research had shown that those zero-tolerance policies reduced kids' chances of finishing school and increased their risk of ending up in the criminal justice system. Um, so our most recent reporting, like you said, uh, on restorative justice stemmed from our reporting last year on um, Gallup-McKinley school district practices. Gallup-McKinley has the largest Native student body of any public school district in the U.S., they have about a quarter of the Native American students in New Mexico enrolled in their schools, but they were responsible for about three quarters of the expulsions um, in state records. Well, that sounds promising. Now, what are some of the criticisms that you're hearing of restorative practices, Bryant? Is there a significant pushback against it? There is. Um, there's you know, some people, as as you guys were discussing, um, see it as meaning there aren't any consequences um, when kids misbehave. Um, I think that Dr. Mike and Danielle um, explained how that's not the case at their school. Um, another challenge that we've heard about is that, you know, in New Mexico, we have a shortage of, of counselors and there's a lot of staff turnover, teaching staff turnover and training newcomers, um, new teachers. In restorative justice each year can take time, um, which no teacher has an abundance of. They're focusing on their, their schooling and their teaching. Um, but uh, one thing I wanted to mention is that a counselor at another school district, Cuba Independent Schools, had told me that she thinks uh, that in the end, these restorative justice practices actually save teachers time and resolve problems, prevent problems that would have happened throughout the course of the year. And uh, she told me that part of why it works 
is because kids feel seen and, and heard. She said that a lot of times Native students are told their truths by adults. They're not given an opportunity to speak their truth, to tell their story from their point of view, uninterrupted, to feel heard, and that these talking circles are an important um, way for them to, to talk out uh, why they have misbehaved. Well, that certainly rhymes with what we heard earlier from Pandora and Danelle, and I, I really appreciated Pandora's uh, a comment that emotional wellness is directly connected to achievement, and I think that's a, a real key takeaway from our conversation today. We are going to have to take another short break, but I encourage any listeners today, if you are a parent or if you're a teacher perhaps or a grandparent or maybe you're a student yourself and, and you have thoughts, you have perspectives with regard to restorative justice, or maybe you wish there was a program like this back when you were a student back when you were in high school or middle school. Give us a call. Tell us about it. 1-800-99-NATIVE. Program support by the Colorado Plateau Foundation, a Native-led foundation supporting Native-led initiatives protecting the lands, waters, and cultures of the Plateau for generations to come. The Colorado Plateau Foundation helps to build networks, community, and organizational capacity. The Colorado Plateau Foundation is accepting grant proposals through September 2nd. Eligibility information is available at coloradoplateaufoundation.org. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Still time to share insights regarding restorative justice practices in schools. Do you think talking circles are the right approach for solving disputes between students? Let us know. Tell us at 1-800-996-2848, 1-800-996-2848. That's our number. Give us a call. We'll get you through. We'll get you on the air. Let's continue now with Bryant Furlow. He is a reporter with New Mexico In-Depth. And Bryant, please tell us more about how New Mexico came to embrace this restorative justice pilot program. What, in, what went into that, that policy decision? Well, so there are actually uh, a couple of things going on. Um, schools like Dr. Mike's and Danielle's school and the Cuba Independent uh, School District on the eastern side of the Navajo Nation had already uh, decided to pursue restorative justice on their own and sought out training for that. And then last year, uh, Emma Green and the State Education Department announced a pilot program at a, another 12 schools statewide. Um, that she can tell you about to train their teachers. They're doing a train the trainers model where they train teachers to train the, their colleagues um, how to handle these these approaches to discipline. Um, and Cuba Independent Schools is is another interesting case study uh, because they have a largely Navajo student population as well. And they, along with the Gallup McKinley School District that we were discussing earlier before the break, were both spotlighted a decade ago in a report by the New Mexico Center for Law and Poverty. Uh, and they had found that those two school districts, expulsion and suspension rates were impacting native children disproportionately. In the years following that report, Cuba adopted restorative talking circles approaches to student discipline and dramatically reduced their suspensions and expulsions. But Gallup did not do that. And for the time period that we studied, um, the four years leading up to the COVID shutdown of schools in New Mexico, Gallup McKinley had an expulsion rate of at least 10 times as high as the rest of the state. Okay, so there is data out there then, Bryant, that uh, this restorative practice stuff, it works. It's got legs to it, it sounds like. 
yeah, it's it's anecdotal. It's, uh, Cuba's just one district, but it does look promising. Okay. Let's go ahead and take a caller now. We have Chris, who is listening in Vancouver, British Columbia. Uh, Chris, hello. Thanks for calling in. Chris, are you there? And, and I just wanted to, yeah. Hi, Chris. Go hey, ahead. I'm sorry. Me? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you. Go ahead. Oh, hi. Yeah. So, apologize. Uh, yeah, let's, greetings, everyone. I just wanted to add a positive remark to what I just heard and actually speak from uh, as from a student's experience from um, a long time ago as a student there at TBA in Shiprock, New Mexico. A lot of us weren't given opportunities to share um you know, like, go, or you have a talking circle to be able to even express ourselves. And I think it caused a lot of the students in our generation to drop out or be expelled. And many of us weren't able to succeed and graduate in high school there as a Shiprock chieftain. So I just wanted to commend Dr. Pandora Mike, her staff, and all the students there in Shiprock, New Mexico. Shout out to the Warriors. Keep going. And I really believe and that what the work they're doing now is is making a huge positive impact in the whole community. Uh, recently visited the school and was really, really happy to, to see students there enjoying themselves as uh, young adults or becoming young adults. It's, it's really amazing to see how much it's changed there in a good way. Shiprock, New Mexico, uh, for those who don't know, nearby the Four Corners area, Southwest, uh, so-called U.S., and just really thankful that my mom, Dr. Pandora, Mike, and other people there are making a positive impact for the students there because uh, okay. we didn't have that when we were growing up. Thank you. Well, thank you, Chris. And, and listeners, you might also know Chris as Defy. He is a high-profile Native American hip-hop artist. And I just want to give Pandora a, a quick chance to respond. Pandora, um, you know Chris very well, right? Uh, feel free to <laughs> give a shout out to Chris. Hi, Yash. Thank you so much. Christopher um, is my oldest son, and um, he recently received a, um, a, you know, an award for Song of the Year for Mamas, um, <laughs> like a couple of nights ago for the International Indigenous Awards. So, congratulations. I wish I was there to hug you. Thank you so much um, for your your compliments. And I know very well, you know, exactly what you're saying, you know, as a parent, looking at, you know, some of the things you went through um, growing up at the middle school and secondary and the changes from that time to now, me being here at a school that you went through, we want to you know, create opportunities, um, alternative ways, rather than just telling the child to, you're suspended. You know, we want to talk it out with you to help you see and be able to help yourself. You know, those are the things that we, we are trying to do with this um, approach with restorative practices. Thank you. Well, thank you, Pandora. I just wanted to to give you folks a chance to uh, have a little family moment here on Native America Calling. That's important, very important. I want to move now to our fourth guest on the show, Emma Green. And Emma, we heard from from Bryant, and he mentioned uh, some 
perhaps anecdotal evidence, but certainly some information that uh, appears that this is promising, that these restoration, or excuse me, restorative school practices really have some traction. They can really make a difference. And I, I want to ask you, how do we know if a restorative justice program is, is working and are expulsions the primary measure of success or are you going after other types of outcomes too? Thanks, Sean. That's a great question. Um, <clears throat> hello to everyone. And um, yeah, so one of the ways that we can look at the success is by looking at states or countries who are a bit ahead of us. And so with um, the understanding that this is uh, restorative justice and restorative practices are deeply rooted in indigenous cultures. We can look at New Zealand's Maori people, for one example. Um, they've been using restorative justice as their only form of juvenile justice since the 80s, and um, it's been going quite well. They have a lot of success in low recidivism. So to your question, Sean, one of the measures that we can look at is reducing recidivism, not just in the justice system, but also in school. Right. Like we're, we're seeing over time that when we're suspending and expelling a student, not only are they less likely to learn from their behavior because we're not actually doing any teaching uh, of behavior modification. When we you know, basically tell our student, you, your feelings, your behaviors are not welcome here, so please leave. But we're also doing further harm. It's concerning to me that when, you know, after we see a student, um, you know, inflict self-harm or harm on others, that we look back and say, oh, man, I've, where were the signs? Where were the signals that this, was, that this was brewing, that this was happening? Well, a lot of those same signs and signals under zero tolerance is what we remove a student from their learning environment and their learning community for. And so exactly to um, the point that my, my fellow um, interviewees were talking about, I love so much the work that is happening with uh, Dr. Pandora Mike and Danelle Yazzie. It's incredible to know that uh, we're creating communities in our classrooms where we do tell students that they are welcome and not just their best behaved selves, right? Like mm -hmm. kiddos very much deserve the opportunity to learn from their quote unquote mistakes and fail forward. And so zero tolerance policies tend to have really unintended and negative consequences, particularly um, disproportionately and negatively affecting our marginalized students, as, as others have said. Um, more directly to your point, though, how can we measure the success? Expulsions is one of them, yes. Um, suspensions is another. Uh, as I mentioned, recidivism. But some of the things that are maybe a little bit harder to quantify are a sense of belonging. Do you feel like when you come to school, you are welcomed there? And not just for our students, but for our staff too. So a safe, supportive, and healthy learning environment is a safe, supportive uh, workplace environment too. So I think it's really important to look at this as um, really kind of a shift uh, away from our zero tolerance, exclusionary, punitive, traditional discipline um, that really did come out of zero tolerance for the most part and a shift mm -hmm. towards one where it's accountability based. And, and that's where we could speak to the, the criticisms of no consequences because that's absolutely false. There, there are consequences, but it's accountability based consequences of if there was a harm that was caused, 
let's figure out what that harm was, who caused that harm, who was harmed, and how do we make it right? And um, so by doing that, we're really creating a, a really a paradigm shift. And to the, the principal and the vice principal's point, or assistant principal, um, it really does take time. You know, it takes, I'd say, at least three to five years to make that shift. And if any school or any person came and said, we implemented restorative across our school in one school year, I would be very concerned. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, and you mentioned zero tolerance, and I think we hear that term so much, so often. And I'm looking right now at the Prevention, Response, and Resiliency Program website there with the New Mexico Public Education Department, and you have a really interesting infographic, Emma, and it describes it, it, a tale of two schools, and you have two different examples for how a student who's late to school, how that can be addressed, how teachers and administrators can greet that student, how he can be addressed in the classroom. And in the one example, it's very restorative. In the other, it's like, okay, he gets greeted by metal detectors and a police search, and he gets scolded. And it, it all sounds great. But also, you know, anybody who's paying attention, you can't help but hear some of these shocking stories of what happens in schools nowadays with regard to 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 shooting incidents with regard to discipline issues and and i just want to want to ask you emma i mean what do you say to parents or to school administrators or teachers who are just like hey look you know this sounds great but i've got a kid coming into my school with a gun and i've got issues with you know severe bullying and and severe physical altercations and how do you get them on board with taking this really in many ways a complete 180 down this other alternative route that obviously from all of our guests today it just sounds like it's really working well for the schools we're talking about but to scale this larger how do you do that yeah absolutely that's a great question and and i think that folks that have their concerns or resistance absolutely need to be honored in that concern and that resistance um because it is scary to try something new, right? Um, one of my favorite professors from college, she has left me with a quote and really a belief that I live by that, well, let's try something new because we already know what the old mistake looks like. If we try something new and it's a new mistake, at least it'll be a new mistake. So, um, so that's one way to, I think, just try to explore new options, although I understand the stakes are very high when we're worried about our safety of our students and our schools and our staff. Um, you know, I think it was mentioned previously that we can't just completely ditch the old way of doing things um, really ever, right? So restorative justice and restorative practices are, are not meant to come in and completely take the place of our state statute and national statute, for example, with our Guns-Free Act. Um, that's restorative is not going to be able to replace what is a requirement um, by national and state standards. But really, my hope is that when we start small and we start slow, when we're doing going slow to go fast, that we start with what is known as tier one in, in restorative practices. And so tier one is all about prevention. It's all about those connection circles that are um, shiprocked professionals were talking about earlier, our community building circles, our, our, our circles for having norm setting. How do we want to treat each other and be treated 
in our classroom or in our school or on our campus together. Let's co-create those norms so that we're all bought in and that we all have said, this is how I do and don't want to be treated. So starting slow and really focusing on prevention has to absolutely be the first step. Just like I said a minute ago, that I would be very concerned if a school or a district rolled an implementation out in one school year. It means that they maybe have skipped a tier one and went straight to tier two or tier three, which tier two is intervention. And tier three is really about uh, restoration, restoring the harm that has been caused. And so when we start at tier one, we're really creating a, 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 a climate, a community, a culture of one that is to be inclusive and welcoming. And I don't know about you all, but I am less likely, far less likely to harm a community that I feel a part of than one that I feel that I've been pushed out of. So my, my first advice would be to start slow, start at tier one, really give that some time to take root in your school or in your classroom. If you can only start in your classroom, please do. And then when you feel like you've, you've got a role on that, you know, a couple months of real consistent community building and connection circles, move into tier two, where that's more kind of intervening on minor infractions. You know, having restorative conversations that says, hey, um, I noticed that you two students are kind of kind of picking at each other. Like, what's going on? Can we just, like, check in with each other? You know, every behavior is a communication of needs, right? And so I think to really lean in and to hear that allows us to be able to know how can we support the student better. And then tier three really should be left to folks that are trained, um, professionals, and tier three is for major conflict or wrongdoing. It involves pre-conferencing with everyone who's been involved in a harm. And then uh, with appropriate um, you know, steps taken, we come and have a restorative conference with the folks that are ready and willing. All of this is voluntary, but the folks that are ready and willing to come to the table to say, what was the harm? Who caused the harm? Who was harmed? And how do we make it right? That really is, somebody said it earlier, the magic of these circles and, you know, really seeing, hearing, valuing and validating people, the harm that they've caused or the harm that they are dealing with because they were harmed is, is really powerful. Emma, thank you so much for closing out our conversation today. We're going to have to wrap it up now, but very much appreciate all four of our guests, as well as our caller who joined the conversation, really engaging dialogue regarding restorative justices and their models for conflict resolution in schools. Tune in to Native America Calling again tomorrow as we check in with tribes on the largest dam removal in U.S. history. Hope you'll join us. Support for this program provided by Vision Maker Media, who envisions a world changed and healed by understanding Native stories and the public conversations they generate. Nurturing the next generation of storytellers with courage, generosity, creativity, respect, and commitment. 45 plus years of Native stories and Indigenous knowledge through film and media can be found at visionmakermedia.org whose slogan is, Together We Are Vision Makers. Support provided by Amerind. Amerind is 100% tribally owned and partners with tribes and their businesses to provide affordable commercial insurance coverage, protect tribal sovereignty, and strengthen Native American communities by helping to keep dollars in Indian country. 
information about property, liability, commercial auto, and workers' comp available at amerind.com. That's A-M-E-R-I-N-D dot com. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanek Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.